Hello and welcome to the Most Talk podcast. This is Connor O'Boyle. Today I'll be speaking with Norman Ludwin. Norman is a leading scholar in the study of orchestration and film composition. He is an instructor on the UCLA Film Scoring Program and at the Cornell School of Contemporary Music. He is also an orchestrator for Michael Giacchino, and some of his recent titles include Zootopia, Jurassic World, Inside Out, Star Trek Into Darkness, Super 8, John Carter, and Priest, to name a few. Norman has worked as a double bass player on over 200 motion pictures, including work with John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, Thomas Newman, Danny Elfman, Chris Young, James Newton Howard, and Michael Giacchino. He has written 10 books on orchestration, including Composition, A New Approach, Advanced Orchestration, Focus on the Strings, and Developing Variation, some of which we get into in this conversation. So, without further ado, I give you Norman Ludwin. Okay, so um, let's um, let's kind of start. I would like to... Um, kind of touch on your your background and and kind of how you kind of got into the industry like um you know was was there music growing up did you come from a musical family or you know what what's the kind of the story that's led to this point so far well my father was a uh, was a pianist he wasn't a professional but um he has he was um he was a big pianist when he was a kid he was very very into by being a performer, uh, but he, after he, I guess graduated before he, after he graduated high school. Anyways, he basically had to give it up as a career, really, to make a living. And then he was in World War II. But um, so I, I got a musical um, interest, I guess, or or aptitude, you might say, from him. My mom wasn't musical at all. I mean, she liked music and all. But my dad, my dad did. So we had always had a piano in the house and he loved classical music. He didn't like jazz. He had, he couldn't, no understanding of jazz, no appreciation of it. I tried, but um, so yeah, so he brought, you know, he was always playing and I, um, I took some piano. My uncle also coincidentally played piano. So I, I took a little bit of piano as a kid and then um, in elementary school, grammar, you know, grammar school, probably about fourth grade. So um, I don't know, about eight or something like that. Pretty young, maybe eight or nine. Uh, I kind of as a joke, the teacher used to show a music teacher once a week and they would show different instruments to the class. And he showed the bass and, you know, he always would say, does anybody want to play this instrument? And. Really, like I said, as kind of as a joke, because I was like like a kid, kid, kid or kid, or you know, kid like to kid around. I said I I would, and so I that's how I started. So I so started. You, you were playing bass when it was like double your height. <laughs> that's right. I played a half size bass. Right, right, right. <laughs> a little half size bass in elementary school, and um, I, I guess I the more I've thought about it over the years, I think. I think that I saw a upright bass player at Disneyland because at Disney, I used to go to Disneyland a lot and I used to be, my, my family was from the East coast. And so they would come out and I was, since I was, you know, I imagine eight or nine or something young, I would be, uh, they would always take me. I was like, you know, the, the tour guide at Disneyland and in the um, Adventureland or New Orleans square, they had a jazz trio. And I think that's the first time I ever saw an upright jazz player, or upright bass player. You know, I never 
I, and I just got, got interested in it, you know, uh, at that point. So, yes, I, I played bass uh, really through this elementary school. And then um, then in junior high, just briefly, junior high, I got very interested in other instruments. And I, I took up the bassoon for, for about three years. And then I, I would play the trumpet and I would I, I was just very interested and I would I would get instruments and I would bring them home and I would get a little fingering guide book and just finger them, you know, figure it out myself and play on them. And I did that even though I was still playing the bass, but I didn't play the bass classical. I just played the bass as a j- as jazz really through high school. I was really playing the bassoon in in orchestra. Yeah. So you, you're firmly kind of in that uh, register. You always kind of tended towards the bass then. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting that you were moving through different families, though, right? that you were kind of dealing with strings and then moving to the winds. And, you know, so you were really getting a kind of an all-round sort of education in, in how how each kind of section works and you were kind of getting the the kind of maybe not directly but you were kind of getting an idea of of the the kind of nuances between the families right i really was you know and i also played trumpet too mm, so you're getting the brass time. there as well then and, um you know and it's funny because i now now when i look back at it you know i, I realize that i was very very lucky um, to have all those influences, you know, to, I mean, I played in orchestra, you know, gosh, I've been playing in orchestra really since elementary school, you know, uh, on one instrument or the other. So, you, you know, you're right. I, without a lot of planning, I just, um, you know, had an exposure certainly to the, uh, the different families. And, um, so that's helped me out, I think really most definitely. Right. And so tell me about when you started moving from, from playing into more of the, the composition and kind of arranging orchestration type work where you were moving from the, the kind of the instrument to the page as it were. Well, that, you know, it's funny, I guess I've always been interested in composition when I went, I went to Cal arts and I was studying bass performance, but I was, um, I was writing a little bit of music back then. It wasn't really um, orchestral. It was really music for bass. But um, really what happened with me was I, um, after I graduated high school, I graduated college, I went to USC and I did some master's work. And, and the, I, I decided after a year of that, I didn't really want to be in any school anymore. And so I, um, I really... Um, just developed my bass career really for probably about, gosh, uh, close to um, a fish, man, close to about um, 20 years. You know, uh, I, I went to, I played an orchestra in Florida, the Florida um, uh, Orchestra, Florida used to be called, the, I'm sorry, the Florida Symphony in um, uh, Tampa, St. Pete. And then I went to an orchestra in South Africa and played overseas. And so I re- and then I came back to Los Angeles and got involved in studio bass playing. And I wasn't really um, composing really seriously and I wasn't orchestrating, but I was studying on my own. I was always interested in it. And I really did that very seriously till about um, about 2000. And then the year 2000, um, the business started really going south in Los Angeles, you know, it was the beginning of the, um, you know, runaway production. And strangely enough, the way these things work is um, 
I was part of a of a man um, whose name is Buell Neidlinger, a bass player who died uh, this year, and he was a principal, and he was a you know which is like a leader of the bass section, and he was probably the the foremost guy, and so I was part of his section, and so I worked all the time really, you know, and there was a lot of work, and so I worked a lot of time in his section, and then around that period of time, around 2000 or late late 90s, I guess, he retired or he left Los Angeles, you know. And so combination of that and the work slowdown, I, I had to do something else. And so that's really when I got involved much more seriously with more education and studying orchestration and composition. Right, right. Also, it kind of is around the same time of the kind of the development of samples and this sort of modernization of, of film production where people aren't necessarily relying on studio musicians anymore. Uh, Definitely. You know, so there was a kind of a, a definite transition around the, around the, the millennium where you've seen the kind of difference in the kind of the past and the future. That was kind of the, the transitional period there for sure. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, as you say, the, the introduction of that and the introduction of, uh, Places like Seattle, you know, was the first big one, you know, um, to do work outside of Los Angeles and not even, not even count. And then London, of course, but not talking like, let's say, you know, Bratislava and all that stuff we have now. So, yeah, it was really a, a, a big whammy on the business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let's talk about more about what you do now then. So you have many different areas of expertise. So you... You are still a player. You're still a composer. You still do the orchestration and arranging. You also do the education on the side, and you're also a writer. Have, have I missed anything there? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's pretty much it. I publish too, but um, right. but seriously, you're you know you're right. Um, I you know I'm a big advocate, you know of um, of doing all the aspects in the business that you mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. You know, and I tell every student I have, you know, bass player, whatever they are, you know, that you um, you really have to do these days. You've got to do all that. But but yes, um, that that hits it pretty well. I've got um, I managed to um, to do all those things as much as I can and evenly and um, keep keep busy with everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. So what would you say would be, would you say that you would give equal attention to all the different aspects or would you say that one would take a more prominent role in your day-to-day life or, you know, what, where, where would you say that kind of your main area of focus is uh, amongst those, those kind of groups there? I would say probably um, would be writing right now, writing and teaching um, or, you know, the orchestration work kind of comes and goes, you know, um, if I do something for Michael, which is, you know, most of the guy, I've done, I have done work for Chris Young, but I, I mostly did work for, for Michael in terms of the big, and sometimes I'll do work for students or smaller things, but the stuff with Michael um, really comes in spurts, you know, not being his main orchestrator, you know, where I would be involved, you know, like, I guess, all year around and working with him. So when those things come in, then I drop everything and have to do that. But, um, you know, outside of that, I, uh, I love, I love writing, you know, I love working on these books. And, and since I have 
so many uh, students and, and teaching opportunities, um, I've found that it's, uh, I've found a good avenue for my thinking about music. You know, unfortunately, the bass playing sort of, you know, it, I, I kick myself a lot because I, that's the, you know, I ha I play as I, I probably, the, it's still the major source of my income really is, is a bass player. You know, if everything was totaled, I guess. But um, anyway, I, I, I do practice, but I probably do that uh, as not as much, and certainly not as much as I used to. But I do it just enough to keep in shape, so when I do play, you know, I, I you know can still play well. Right, that you're you're kind of you're very much nailing it, you know, every single time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's important to stay on top of everything and and not let one area of your skill set you know diminish as as another one kind of increases you want to try and keep a kind of nice even level for everything that you do so that everything's kind of sharp well it's true and you know performance is is very funny i mean i really um i mean i realized that a lot this summer because i was out of town for about a month and i came back and i i jumped right into doing playing playing a jazz gig and you know it was tough you know, for, to play for three hours. I mean, just physically, I, I could feel my arms, you know, just sort of hands and fingers kind of getting in gear. So um, you have to, if you if you want to do what I do, which is, you know, studio music and orchestra stuff, a lot of the orchestra stuff I do, I'm principal bass. And um, that also, I came back to town and I, I did some jazzing and I did this orchestra, I'm principal and we're playing, you know, Beethoven's Ninth, which is a big bass solely passage. And then we're playing Beethoven, uh, some um, Bernstein, um, West Side Story. That's got bass solos in it. I mean, the whole thing—you just have to, you have to be ready. You've got to. You, there's no. You can't, can't sit there and say, "Oh, sorry, I, I'm, you know, not going to make it today." So yes, um, you have to. You really, have, if you want to keep playing at a high level, like I'm doing, I have. You've got to keep it together. Because there's, you know, there's lots of people who want to do what you do. Right. So let's kind of move now into the kind of your writing and your compositional approaches, because I think these two things are very much linked. Um, and obviously that also translates into your, your teaching practice as well, because everything kind of flows from, from the other. You write about how you, how you think about music and you, you your compositional attitudes and approaches are all kind of informed by how you think about music so can you kind of um can you kind of articulate how you think music should be in terms of how composers should really think about their music when they're when they're beginning a, a piece or when they're you know you find a lot of people start pieces or they have they have kind of fragmented ideas maybe a melodic motif that might that might emerge but they, they 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 tend to you know not so much develop it in the way that composers of old would have done you know they don't really see their their musical kind of their musical mm. ideas really come to fruition as you know maybe it's maybe it's kind of uh, the way the film industry is i suppose that, that there's not a lot of room for development uh, there's not a lot of room for melody anymore Right, um, but just yeah. just how how do you what is how do you think as a composer and how does that inform your writing and your teaching? Hmm. Oh gosh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, 
Phew, I think that um, it's, you know, um, writing is personal. Composition is, is very personal. Music is personal. And um, I'm always very cautious and careful when I work with students to um, allow them their own creative language. Now, that's, that's one part of the equation you're talking about, really, not exactly in terms of my own, I guess. But uh, it just makes me think that the, um, you know, where one, where one gets ideas for writing, I think varies of a lot, varies for everybody, every, you know, uh, approaches. I do think that one of the challenges these days is that um, because so many people are coming up in the business and they don't really have training. They don't really. They've never taken orchestration or arranging classes or composition classes or sometimes theory classes. And they and they haven't studied the repertoire. So they they tend to write and they're all in the door, and it's copy and pasting, and um, moving things around. And and you're absolutely right. The idea of developing of of taking an idea and, and looking at it and analyzing it and trying to to you know, develop it, repeat certain parts of it, sequence certain parts of it, take it apart. Uh, it doesn't come into play. They don't. Um, they don't know that part. So, to me, I guess the um, what I like to do. I guess my approach is, I, I usually improvise some ideas. But I guess a lot of people do. So that would be that's the way I start. I usually play something on the piano, some ideas, something that you know, a little idea, some little figure, some little something to um, that, that intrigues me. And then uh, I'll, I'll notate that. Right? I'll usually notate that in, I used to use Finale, now I use a Sibelius, doesn't really matter, whatever the heck, you notate it. And then I'm a big believer in, in trying to, to outline what I'm going to do. And that this has been taught to me by teachers where I went to school, uh, you know, uh, up, you know, up and down the line, you know, the ones who write as for a living, you know, who, you know, don't just write, you know, would have some commissions and, and, and you know, serious music, you know, as well. Serious music, it's, you know, it, it's the same in the sense as, as, as film. So anyways, I try to make an outline of really what I want to do with the piece. And sort of get an idea of how long it is, uh, what kind, what do I want to do in each section, and sort of um, give myself uh, an overview. Because once I once I can do that, then I can take that and put it in some sort of eight stave sketch. Right. So you're not necessarily following any established formal structures. You're not you're not kind of adhering to you know, maybe like an ABA structure or like a, a sonata form structure where you're kind of giving them, you know, theme one, theme two, development, recapitulate. You're not thinking in those kind of terminologies. You're just kind of thinking in more kind of broad, broad strokes of, okay, I've got maybe a 64 bar. I'm going to work here for a minute or two on this. Then I'm going to move into this transition into this section. I, I mean, you're not really thinking so much in terms of those kind of pre-established formal structures no no i'm not you know i mean that's sort of you say not many composers not, really know, follow really those relevant i guess but i mean the 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 formal part of it but i mean the informal part of 
you know, having a contrasting second theme, right? You know, uh, or having, you know, a, a section at the end that, that comes back to some material. I like that idea, you know, and, you know, I like pieces, you know, uh, theme and variations, you know, I mean, I've written some, some orchestral stuff like that, you know, um, I've done some things. I mean, if I'm doing something, you know, for film, you know, it's a different story. I mean, film, you know, you've got uh, a lot more constraints on what you're doing. You know, people are telling you, you know, the director is kind of giving you some ideas, you know, of what he, what they want. But um, I generally find that it's um, I try to to I'd like to work outside of getting into the details. I like to keep the details for later because it's um, it's so easy to get bogged down in that. For sure. OK. And so then. You you start by by kind of dabbling in the in the piano, then you move to kind of sketching some stuff out. Then, is your mind already thinking about instrumentation? Is it thinking about harmonic language, or does that stuff come later? Are you, are you still kind of thinking about the the direction of how this music's going to form, or uh, is this all happening simultaneously? Well, the the instrumentation is pretty inst- um, instantaneous. Yeah. I'm I'm very lucky with that. I mean, I, I do hear the instruments in my head in terms of, of I can see on a page and hear the instrument playing, you know, mm, not perfectly, mm. but I mean, I can, I, that part is very clear. Harmonic language is, um, you know, it's something I've struggled with. You know, I spent a lot of years studying writing with hexachords. Right. And I did some books about that. And that for me was very, really good because uh, even though I don't necessarily write in a hexachord now, limiting myself to six notes, but um, that enabled me to to learn how to kind of analyze my material and have a little more of a uh, a sort of a free chromatic flow of mm-hmm. material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I I tend to write, you know, yeah, I, I guess I have a style. You know what I mean? It's something that I like. Yeah. I mean, ha- I mean, have, developing your voice is something that's that's always kind of spoken about, but no one really ever, no one really ever knows how to articulate that really well. I mean, um, most people just tend to start off by imitating someone that they enjoy and then develop over time uh, their own technique and their own style. You know, um, you know the famous Miles Davis quote that says, you know, um, you have to play for a long time to sound like you. Uh, up until up, up until then, you always sound like somebody else, you know. So, um, it's true. Developing your own your own style and your own language is is a is a is a process that that kind of is retrospectively looked at as opposed to kind of anticipated. And it's it's very and you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it's utterly important. And uh, yeah, at the same point, very very difficult to achieve, um, yeah. especially you know, in film music. You know, because be- yeah, film music, you're 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 at the behest of the temp. You're at the behest of the director, who's who's kind of maybe hired you because you're a cheaper version of Hansamer <laughs> or something. That's you right. know what I mean? And and again, it's 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 very much a a, a career um, journey that that takes you, uh, unless you're like some sort of um, prodigy that that, that yeah. it just bursts onto the scene and it's like here I am, you know. Uh, this is the sign that you've been looking for. Um, right. No, you know. no I, I think you're right. I mean, um, I, I've also heard that, you know, you end up writing music that you heard as a kid. In, and 
Um, you know, it's, I, I think, I think there's some, there's something to be said with that. I guess, you know, the, the question of style, um, wow, you know, it, it's, it is a, it is a tough one. You know, I, I get, if I had to, somebody, if someone were to ask me, I guess I, I like to write, I like to write tonally, but I like to have, um, a lot of chromatic changes within, you know, I don't write, um, you know, sort of, uh, tied into, to one particular key, but I like using, um, chords or I like using the movements of chords, uh, for color. And I like using variety of rhythm. Rhythm is important to me, um, as with the, my, as a bass player or with the background of, of always playing music that as, as involved with time, you know, as a bass player, jazz player, uh, that's important to me. That the music has a flow, has an energy, has a movement. Um, and, um, you know, what language the people use, like I say, it, I, I think it's very personal. When a student comes to me, you know, I, I try to, 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 to hear what they're doing and, uh, you know, make some suggestions around the edges if I can to maybe make some, some, something they haven't thought of. Right. Who would be kind of your influences? I mean, where would you find yourself returning to in terms of composition and orchestration? And, you know, would you tend to move, if you're talking about hexachords, would you tend to look at the, you know, kind of people like Elliot Carter or kind of those sort of um, American minimalists, these type of guys who were dealing in that sort of language? Or would you kind of move towards, you know, European um 20th century composers and and how or would you, you tell know, i don't i don't really like serial writing like you know ellie carter um you know serial serial um um 12 tone writing uh not really i to me i tell you my influences really would probably be like um like leonard bernstein um copeland um, I like a lot of French composers, Poulenc, I've been listening to a lot, of course, Ravel, you know, Debussy, um, I love, um, Prokofiev, you know, Shostakovich, so very eclectic, um, I love, um, you know, John Adams, I like minimalism, um, I, I, a lot, I don't necessarily want to, um, write that way, but I like to use some elements of it, but I don't write... I don't write in a, um, you know, a 12 tone doctrine. I mean, serial, I mean, hexachords to me, um, is just a way to, um, to use a grouping of use a more unique group of pitches is really, what it is. it's like, um, it's like modal writing, but it's like, uh, exotic scales. And that to me gets a, away from just sort of the real locking into major and minor. And when, when I create my own hexachord or even seven note scale or whatever kind of scale like that, then uh, it's a little more unique. And so the sounds kind of um, give the piece some, some little more uh, individuality than if I just, you know, sort of try to write what I can play on the piano in terms of some sort of semi jazz chords or something like that. Yeah. Okay. You know? And then, so you are, you're simultaneously moving back and forth between the piano and your, your score writing software, Sibelius and 
you are are you do you begin with a reduction or sketch or are you immediately kind of orchestrating as you go because i i tend to find that i would i would do it that way i would kind of be moving back and forth in my chair um thinking about kind of voicings and um you know you said that that hearing the instruments comes naturally to you so obviously maybe not obviously but it's it would be kind of would follow that you would be orchestrating as you go i like to um I, i like to work in a smaller sketch to begin with i like to work in eight or a 10 stave sketch uh, rather than working in you know a full orchestral you know score because it just it's is too much landscape you know it's too much being wasted you know i don't want to really think about third horn and you know bass trombone and you know second flute uh right away you know so what i'd like to do is is work in as like i say a sketch of either eight or ten ten staves and get the ideas out that way and once um once i've done that once i've got that then then I can take that and really easily orchestrate that. So easy to do that, especially with, you know, Sibelius or, or, I mean, I don't really write in a DAW that much. I mean, if I'm, you know, I don't, you know, if I've done a little bit of, of the movie stuff that I've done, which has always just been a few small things I've done that have been really under the radar. When I, if I'm writing to film, then I'm going to use a DAW. And I definitely see the advantage of that because it's sort of a play in improv, you know, playing in as I'm watching the action. Um, my problem with that is, um, I, I guess not being, I mean, I can play piano, but not being a, a virtuoso pianist. Um, I, um, it's, it, yeah, I end up having to do so much work back on what I've played in that it, um, unless I have the greatest groove happening, that, I, that I've just got to get into the computer, it's easy for me to notate what I want to do. Yeah. So, um, so yes, like I said, I, I prefer to work in, in a smaller a smaller sketch. And then in that sketch, um, I can, you know, I, if I want to write English horn, you know, if I want to make a notation that I want a snare drum or something unique or xylophone or celeste or something that I can't fit on there, then I can I can even do that. I mean, you know, Sibelius, of course, allows me to change an instrument or I can, you know, I can do anything like that to to get my ideas down in that place. Right. And so let's let's move away from from your your composition approach mm-hmm. to your your orchestration, because we're, we're kind of there anyways. Um, sure. Talk to me about, um, you know, I've, I've spoken to several orchestrators um, and they always seem to make a distinction between orchestrating for yourself and orchestrating for others. Can mm. you can you talk about what the differences are there in terms of how do you yes. how do you deal with orchestrating your own music and then orchestrating someone else's music? That's a good question. I mean, and I've spoken to my friends who are orchestrators as well. Orchestration is a bowl. I mean, orchestration is is a wonderful uh, job, uh, but in some ways, a lot of ultimately, you're kind of you're well, you're playing, you're filling in someone else's ideas. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. I mean, that's what you're doing, um, and ultimately, that that can leave you wanting. And so it's it's a huge difference. I mean, um, gosh, the, you know, 
times that I've done something for for Michael where I wish I could change it. You know, I do. I would. I mean, nothing like I see a mistake. You know, that I may change or like you know, I something. But I just wish. Gosh, you know, something else would happen here, or 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 you know, a different instrument was being asked for here, or you know, um, you know, variety of different things that that I would like to hear. So it's um, there's that issue, and then the other issue too you got to remember is that uh, one of the things that's difficult being an orchestrator is that you have to understand a composer's style. You know, I found that because when I did some when I did work for Chris Young. That's a very different style than Michael Giacchino. Oh, a hundred percent. Exactly. Um, I mean, talk to me about how how you how you what's the process when when you're working with Michael, for example. Does he work in the DAW? Does he give you a sketch? Do you get MIDI? Um, you know, what what's the kind of um, from from you from you begin to you get to the scoring stage, you know, to walk us through that. The way it works is, um, I, I mean, the, the point in the food chain I am with, with Michael, well it's, di- well, it's different than with Chris. I'll tell you the difference if you want to hear that. You know, let's start with, with, like, for instance, Chris, I would get a, a MIDI recording. I would get a sketch, but I'd also get MIDI as reference. Now, I don't get that with Michael, you know. So what I get from Michael is a, pretty cleaned up orchestral sketch. And like I said, for me, because Michael's very organized, I, you know, it's, um, it's a, um, a well-oiled machine. I mean, he's got how Michael works. I think he works in logic. I think he writes it in logic. Um, and then he, um, you know, then he has somebody, I think, um, realize that for him. Right. And then, um, probably then he uses that realization, uh, or mock-up, you know, to play for the director. And then once that's been okayed, then he has an assistant or somebody, I don't know, really an intern, it's more like an assistant, I think, who then puts it into Sibelius, right? And then he sends it to the orchestrators. Right, so you're you're looking at notes then, right? You're not looking at MIDI blocks or anything like no, that. Oh gosh, no, no. Because right. <laughs> that, I mean, that that that's an entirely different process. If you're, because I know some orchestrators, they'll 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 get they'll just get MIDI. I, I've heard Conrad say that he's been he's been sent just MIDI blocks, and he's had to, you know, he's got a, he's got a team of people that, that yeah, you sure. Know, he he'll say, right, you need to you need to notate all that MIDI down, and then then I get it, and then I go to work. Um, so well, yeah, I'm sure the point Conrad is now. I mean, where Conrad might have been 30 years ago or something. But yeah, I mean, I've done some work for some clients where I'll get um, I'll get MIDI. I'll get two. I'll get two staves that I'm supposed to orchestrate for orchestra. You know, I mean, I'm not just orchestra. I'm arranging. I'm arranging and orchestrating, right? Because there's you know, I'm just given a piano part. You know, and sometimes I have to take it down too. So, I mean, there's all those different levels depending on, um, you know, what what the jobs are. I mean, I don't do that much of that I mean, kind of takedown, but I have. Yeah. Know? I mean, this this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of, of you know, keeping every aspect of your, your skill set really tip top. I mean, because you, you can be given, 
you know, just the most bare bones of anything and, and be expected to create, um, you know, cathedrals with, with, <laughs> with, with bricks and, and mortar, you know. So um, it really it really is um, a matter of, of keeping on top of on top of everything. So you're yeah. so let, let's just go back, you know, give me an example of of a of a of, you know, a, a queue that you've that you've worked on where, um, you know, where you're saying, okay, um, the, the golden rule when when you're when you're orchestrating is is and you've you've kind of touched on this is the idea that you don't make changes that the composer has, you don't change the melody, you don't, mm-hmm. you know, um, one, one, one thing that's always kind of, that, that I've always thought of is, say the composer has, you know, just given you a, a top line, maybe like a lead sheet where you've got a top line and, and the, the harmony, the chords written out, and there's not much else other than that. How free or how much liberty do you feel comfortable taking when you're dealing with that? You know, say for example, he's just basically written, you know, triads and mm-hmm. what's your take on, on, you know, for example, um, adding, um, additional Seven harmony. Yeah. 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 How, how free do you, do you move in there? I don't think, well, I, you know, it, it goes back a little bit, you know, to what we were talking about, um, Connor of the idea of, of the style, you know, the composer's style. Well, heck, I guess it, it really depends. You know, I mean, if, if, I mean, Michael would never do that, you know, but if, 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 if Michael, give, when Michael gives me something, right. Um, and, and there are core and there are chords, uh, you know, the chords in the brass and, you know, like that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to embellish the chords. I may fill the chords out. You know, I, if he's got a triad written, you know, I'm going to voice it. I have some free reign voicings. I feel, you know, I can to you know because of course if you've got let's you know the classic thing I say to his students. I mean you've got, you know you got to try it, but you got four trumpets, you know. So how are you going to do it? You know, right? I mean you know something's going to be doubled, right? Or you're going to leave a note out. I mean those kind of decisions are orchestrators' decisions. Um, but other projects, it really depends. I mean, like I'm working with a. A client now who he's written this this kind of a or it's a uh, he, it, it's a piano piece that he wants to be orchestrated. But to me, it I had to just do a wholesale editing of it, really, because there it there were just mistakes, you know, and there just were there were clashes, no clashes that just didn't make any sense, you know. And so um, now to me now. Somebody may say, oh, that you're not orchestrating anymore. And sometimes on, on lower projects, we're not orchestrating really anymore. We're, we're, we're doing more than orchestrating. Is what yeah, means. you're almost like, a, know, like an editor as well at that point, right? We're editor. We're, we're, we're supervisor, arranging. everything. You know, we're really arranging. Yep. Um, you know, you're, um, you're adding a lot. And, and some of the chords, as you say, I mean, not, not, you know, I, I may change a voicing on these levels. But so I think the, the, the question really becomes um, a lot of time. I think most good composers worth their salt. If, if they had the situation you're talking about, they would give an indication to the orchestrator of what they want. You know, they may say, well, look, you know, um, you know, this is for, you know, um, a church service or something like that, you know, so I, you know, um, you know, keep it, keep it, uh, you know, close 
tonally to what I have, or they, you know, um, they may say, you know, this is going to be for, you know, some sort of a, of a, of a fight, you know, so we, we have, you know, more, um, you know, you may have a little more free reign with it. Right. Also, I guess, I mean, there's, there's such a thing as implied harmony as well, I guess, where you can kind of, you know, so if they have, you know, a ninth on top, um, but they don't have the seventh in, you know, the, the seventh would be implied there. So, you, and if you have a full orchestra, then you can distribute like the voicing of the chord with the seventh in, um, because he, right. he has it implied. Um, but I mean, in terms of, um, inversions and, and, and kind of these types of techniques, um, so you're not always kind of playing root based chords, which tend to get, you know, really tiring and boring on the ear. Those are all choices that, that you make, you know, as a bass player as well, you must be super informed as to, you know, when, like when to take something and put the third on the bass or put the seventh right. on the bass, you know, this type of, this type of orchestration. I, 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 am, I, I am in my own writing, but once again, like I say, um, you know, unless I got an indication from Michael or, or from a composer that I have, you know, that feel free to change this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it. Right. I, I really, I wouldn't change. I mean, unless, like I said, of course, if there's a mistake or like sometimes, um, you know, I'll see discrepancy between, let's say the tuba and the bass line, you know, that seems to be awry, you know, now in that situation, um, even on the stage, even on the stage, us bass players will, um, often we'll turn to the tuba and say, hey, you know, what note do you have in measure 10? You know, we've got an A. Oh, I've got an F. Okay. Well, uh, do we, have, you know, sometimes we change it ourselves. We don't make a big deal about it. Uh, other times it's a, you have to make, you have to ask the question, you know. So, um, like I say, it's, it's, it really depends. It depends. It really depends on, on how the situation is set up. I mean, ideally, really, the orchestrator shouldn't do any of that. Really? I mean, really, the orchestrator. But know, again, really... it, it comes back to this idea that that the kind of the new school in Hollywood, uh, or just generally in, in film, is less informed as to the 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 kind of how the 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 guys would have done it in the old days. I mean, I think probably John oh, Williams yeah. is the only one around today that is really doing any sort of um, really advanced orchestration. Everything else is pretty pretty straightforward and, 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 and root position sort of stuff. Yeah, you're um, right. You know, no, you're but, right. John's stuff, you know, it always stands out, you know, I mean, it's, um, it's always more, his stuff is always more orchestrally, um, done. Yeah. And, I mean, he's super mature, you know I mean? It's just like, he's, well, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's arrived fully developed, you know, um, and he's definitely super competent in, in every aspect, even, you know, in terms of, I know, I know he uses orchestrators, like he mm-hmm. doesn't orchestrate his own work, but essentially when, when the work is, is given to the orchestrators, they're basically just copyists at that point, right? I believe so. I believe so too. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right with that. But yeah, but you're actually, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's one of the um, challenges and opportunities for people like yourself um, mm-hmm. in the business, because, you know, film music, is is universally um, admired, you know, and 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 interest. And like I say, the 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 number of people, the number of people that I, the students, I mean, the number of students I have 
as private or at UCLA or, or Shepard, any place, who sometimes have ever played with another musician can be very low. They've never played music with somebody. <laughs> I mean, they've never, I mean, to me, that's starting. I mean, I've been playing music with people since, you know, since I was elementary school. Yeah, I guess, I guess you I guess you don't really need to anymore, right? There's it's you can you can have everything on your computer, so they're saying Well, you're right. In a way you don't you don't need it. You're absolutely right. It's a composer or gosh, as a player too, I guess. But so you're right. It, it's it's I bring it up because it's one of the points like so if somebody's never played with somebody else, somebody's never heard an orchestra live. You know, somebody's never opened a Mozart score or, or looked at a score. I mean, all the things start mounting up, you know, and then um, you, you it just there's there's something about like to me, it's like playing, you know, something about being in a room playing with other people that I, I, I think I'm pretty sure that you're the way you write your melodies and the way you write for a group of people when you can think of a human person playing that part. You don't have to sit there and think, how is the clarinet going to finger it? But I think that that um, informs your writing. And I think that that uh, the big issue these days is that we have so many people who have learned the craft and, and they're, you know, through YouTube you know, and and other different things, and they're and they're writing in the door, and they're writing. The writing suffers from that because there's just something that's just you know kind of missing that personal involvement. I guess. Yeah. What call it. Uh, I t I totally agree that you find uh, like a, a a sort of homogeneity of 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 output from generation of composers where I mean if you were going back to the to the golden age where you had you know your Jerry Goldsmiths and your Alfred Newman's and your your Leonard your um Elmer Bernstein's right. and these, these type of people I mean it 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 every single person was extremely distinct and they all had their they all brought their own you know touch their own kind of stylistic approach and that informed how we remember the film the the movies are, are right. super like connected to that and nowadays it, the, the the music is pretty much just just wallpaper you know it's not really it doesn't function in the same way for most of the case uh as it as it did back then um its importance has been demoted somewhat um, right yes you know so it's to the point where you see uh, you know, makeup artists above composers in the in the credits. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is no, uh, right. and and overseas. You know, it it's you know they just want composers to write just to write a song. Off, you know, and some of the movies in Asia, friends of mine that I met, um, that's that's what the that's what the, their composer did write a song. That the song is maybe used over the main title or maybe used in the movie, and there's no underscore. Or any underscore is just something that's just pulled off the net. Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm curious because mm -hmm. pe people have been talking about this. Do Do you think there will be a renaissance of of the the kind of Alfred Newman style of writing, or do you think that that, that, that that's gone and it's a historical period that'll be studied? <laughs> I think there will be because the thing is is that um, 
right now, the funny, the funny part about that equation, about the question, is that um, I put in a mock-up. So like, say, mm-hmm. okay, you do a mock-up, or somebody's doing a mock-up. Now, even the word, it's a mock-up. It's a, 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 a pretend. You know, so you're, somebody is pretending to write. They're, they're, it's a pretend orchestra. So if the, the see, to me, there's still a lot of interest and a lot of writing that's done where it's the orchestral sounds that are appealing to people. And if, you know, if electronic scores are a different thing, you know, if somebody's writing electronica scores, then, um, you know, there's no need to have, um, I mean, that stands on its own. So I guess what I mean to say is that uh, I think that uh, as, as composers and directors realize that, hey, you know, I, I, I want to have this orchestral sound. I want to have these orchestral instruments. I like the sound of real instruments, even though they're not playing, you know, uh, you know, sort of um, common practice tonality. Then the next step is, well, maybe I should have these instruments played real for real. And then once you get the real instruments, then somebody has to know what they're doing. <laughs> at that point, I mean, there's something that that that's in a real orchestra playing that just is absent from the best the best mockups that I've ever heard. They still are lacking in 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 soul in in you know that interpretation um, because you're trying to get the the sounds to kind of you know blend artificially, whereas those guys have been doing this for for their entire lives and they know when to sit back and let that oboe take the solo and they know when to crescendo together and you know there's there's just something that that is inherent in like you said people in a room playing together that is can never well maybe not never but i don't think there'll ever be a point where it can be totally replicated digitally and you know, I was you speaking about Christopher Young, I asked Chris the same question and mm-hmm. I said to him, you know, have you ever been have you ever been fooled by a mock up? Have you ever been have you ever heard something mm-hmm. that was so good that you didn't know? And he just looked and with a straight face said, No. I've I've never <laughs> I've never been fooled because I've spent my entire life um dealing with, with live players and I know what it sounds like and I've never been tricked. Um, you know, so that, that that's just something that that people need to need to realize, and you know, but there there are there are different ways to interpret that. You know, you've got this sort of hybrid Hans Zimmer Junkie XL approach, where you have them sort of treating the orchestra as a tool within the larger scale of the the piece itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we're we're talking here in in the kind of Williams sort of style, where the the, the narrative is told. Um, through the music and the orchestra, but talk to me about about you know working with Chris and and because his music is entirely different from from Giacchino and it's more aleatoric and it's mm-hmm. more inf- more informed by the sort of avant garde um, composers of the twentieth century. Uh, so orchestrating that must have been an extremely interesting experience. It was. I just wanted to, to just follow up with something you, you were saying earlier. Sure. Um, I think you're you know I think the the era. That's why we we can say I think with assurance the era of the Newmans and the Hermans when when uh, 
you know, Hollywood movies re, re, reigned supreme mm-hmm. and, and everything was done with an orchestra, you know, in Los Angeles. Uh, that That's over. I mean, right. the, the budgets, the uh, sensibility, um, the, um, the the globalness of, mm-hmm. of what's interest of what people want has changed. So I don't think we'll ever have. You're never going to you're never going to have studio studio orchestras that are just on 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 the lot waiting for a. A call, right? <laughs> well, th- no, and, and I mean, I, I do hope that even after I retire, that you know, there there still are you know orchestral sessions that are being done someplace. Yeah. I mean, they they continue; they're much le- much smaller degree than they have. I think they'll always will be that, and I guess I think that um, even when um, and I'll get to your point about Chris. I think that even um, even though it's it's changed and and the world. Uh, many, I mean, most of the people that I, students I know and people I meet all over the world, I mean, they just can't afford live orchestra. You know, they they have a job. They would say, "Gosh, I'd love to have uh, three instruments come into my movie. I'd love to." You know, but I mean, they're getting paid so little that you know they they have to do it in the box and, and etc. So I think that the interest and the um, the desire for education of of all of how to write for the orchestra, whether it's a small orchestra or two instruments or a big, will always be there because it's such a a, uh, a wealth and history, and the, and uh, we're not at the place where we're we've given up on it. You know, there's still a lot of interest in it. And but going back to um, to Chris, um, yes, you know, very definitely the the um, now when I got it, it had also been cleaned up. You know, obviously, you know, I mean, Chris has got a whole different technique of of how he, um, you know, writes his music, which I, I imagine he explained to you or or, or such, you know. But, um, you know, the stuff that I got was was very clean. It, there was uh, there was aleatoric part to it. Uh, you know, what, there was, what, what movie was it that you worked it on? It was the movie Priest. A oh, Priest. OK. It was a while ago. But um, it was Priest. It was one of the last... Well, it was one here. I, I I knew the guy who was his main um, assistant at the time, and then he after that it was I think after that he kind of started doing more stuff out of out of country. Mm-hmm. I think after that time, but um, it um, you know it had it had some um, aleatoric sections. It had you know sections where the winds you know, uh, had a, 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 like a pattern in a box, you know, mm-hmm. play this pattern, pick these notes in this pattern, you know, uh, highest notes, stuff like yeah, that. Fast but as possible, this type of stuff. As you know. fast as possible. Right. You know, but, um, that's almost standard practice now. I mean, certainly Giacchino does that a yeah. lot yeah. You know, in his things, but, um, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't terribly different. I mean, at least like I say, you know, when, you know the place I'm at. You know, on these chains, I'm getting stuff that is already pretty, pretty cleaned up. I sometimes I, I work for a client, you know, who just sent me a MIDI strings, you know, like and it was like four, you know, sustained track of strings, legato's track of strings, you know, and then I had to create, um, you know, a, a string orchestra from that. So sometimes things come over like you know. As as rough as that, right? I mean, I I've looked at at numerous Chris Young scores, and and 
he's his writing is is extremely distinctive you know he he has a style but you can clearly see the school that he um has followed from you know so i think in terms of of orchestration the the language most certainly exists you know um in terms of writing like the the Pandarecki style of writing mm-hmm. and this sort I- of Trinity and how the how that is translated into the orchestra is, is well established now so it's not so much trying to work out exactly how to present this so that an orchestra interprets it in in any given way it, that that's that already exists you know um, so uh, talk to me about you know this idea where we, we've been chatting about um, the the kind of old school versus the, the, the new school, so to speak, and how uh, modern composers are writing. I, I had this conversation before with a, with a friend, and, mm. and we were talking about samples and, and samples representing um, the orchestra, you know, and, and you know, the samples today are, are pretty, pretty good. Um, but they're not, they're not, they're not this, they're not exactly wholly representative of, of what the orchestra can do. Um, but talk to me about people who let their writing be informed by the orchestra as opposed mm-hmm. to people who let their knowledge of the orchestra inform their writing. So I'm thinking about people who would write things in the DAW that are impossible to play right. by, by, a, by a, an orchestra because obviously, you know, yourself, players get tired, their fingers begin to hurt, you know, you couldn't have a you know, a 30-second note ostinato yeah. for seven minutes, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so wh- how do you feel about that? Well, I spent a lot of my teaching trying to alleviate that, mm. you know, for over all these years because, I mean, I've written, you know, many, many books, not not just on that, but many of the books I have are are dealing with some of that kind of issue of, of just what is practical, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how to... Um, you know, there are, you know, how to change, um, you know, how to make the music even in a door to sound more orchestral, you know, give the winds breaks, you know, give breath, breathing breaks, you know, you know, add articulations, add hairpins, you know, make sure your ranges, you know, are, are accurate, you know, I mean, so there, there are very practical things about that. Um, to me, the, the thing that I've been really thinking about a lot recently is because I, I think I mentioned I've, I've been traveling. I was in Southeast Asia and the, the level of mock-up skills are, are very good. <laughs> Almost everywhere I went in Malaysia, you know, Vietnam, I didn't really hear that much, but certainly in Thailand and in, been in China. So the, the mock-up, mock-up chops, you know, without getting into all the details you're talking about, but the mock-up chops um, are very good. But it's really so. How my my interest with people is to try. How can you make your your music stand out from other people's? You know, what can you do to make it? Some of it, like I know Chris's big thing is find your own voice, right? Now, now that's a a beautiful thought. Now, I like to think more practically. Like, what can you do to, um, you know, to just make your your writing sound enough different than the next guy? Because you're not going to do it with production too much these days. 
thing. I mean, you have to have very good production. I mean, to be in, in any sort of a discussion, right. you know, work. Yeah, so that's, that, that, that's your base level, right? <laughs> it's pretty much the base level now. It's pretty much the base level. You know, um, you know, I, I, I think there's levels within that, but but it's pretty much the base levels. So the, so the next thing, it's sort of to deal with your question, is that, is that, you know, that's where somebody's skill as an orchestrator and as a composer come out. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. once you get over the flush of, oh, wow, that sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or the the pizzazz of of the production. Then somebody like a director, or in my case, you know, if I'm judging a competition, you know, which I do, and those things are helpful to people to win, or if I'm I'm giving a scholarship to somebody to go to university or something like that, you know, then the next part of that equation equation comes up. The question is is, um, you know, do we, you know. What are they? Are they doing anything that is not just the standard rep on this, right? And that, to me, I think can be learned. I think you, and then the best way to learn it is by is by studying studying what other people have done. And a lot of times, people just don't. They haven't really done that. I mean, the, you can pretty much guarantee that John Williams or or any of the the guys that their names will firmly be be remembered. They are not studying the scores of of other film composers they're most certainly scoring <laughs> uh you know they're studying beethoven and brahms and mahler and stravinsky and you know there there's definitely you can hear that their time has been has been spent studying the the masters um where a lot of people today are, are yeah, there there's definitely merit in studying um you know film scores and and learning how they you know deal with dialogue or how they approach a certain stylistic scene but in terms of you know being able to stand out from the crowd they've definitely Mm -hmm. done that by by studying the masters that have that have gone before them you know um oh they have to i mean you know you're you're absolutely right um i think you know uh i i think that the um except probably for somebody like john williams who's basically like a musical monk, right. but um, you know, I think composers are very competitive, yep. you know, but and critical. But I, I think you're right. I think you know, composers may go to other people's films and they listen to it and they like it. But um, it, you know what I say is that well, it's sort of like a joke. It's like the joke list. It's like um, somebody's talking and then he's you know, it's like a politician. Let's say so, a politician's saying something like. Well, you know, maybe you don't think I'm very smart. You know, maybe you don't think I know what a whole bunch of, you know, nickels add up to. Maybe I don't, but I got somebody on my staff who does. <laughs> and it's the same thing. It's like even the composers who don't have a, a deep orchestral background, Elfman, right, mm. is first yeah. name Zimmer. He, they, they come from bands, from rock bands, you know. They come from rock bands. Silvestri mm-hmm. was a rock band guy. They, their orchestrators know this stuff. You right. know? So even if they don't know it, mm-hmm. then somebody somewhere on that food chain does. And um, no, but there's no doubt about that one, man. There's no absolute. Doubt. That's why this, this book that I'm working on now is once again tying that together. I mean, I'm putting examples of um, a solo playing or, or um, legato writing. And I'm showing examples from 
classical repertoire and examples from film. Right. I mean, just yeah, yeah. I saying mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely there's definitely um, firm techniques that that I've learned. You know that obviously John has taken from other people. You know, whenever you hear uh, one of one of John's fantastic um, legato melodies, you know you can always you can always pretty much guarantee that if it's in the horns, it's been doubled by the cellos, you know, and this, this mm-hmm. type of language, you know, to get that sonorous, um, you know, real singing quality, there, there are certain things that, that he does and that they have done that, you know, you, you think you were talking about Beethoven 9 and how he presents the theme and the basses, uh, and then the second iteration, it has the violas, and they're a third above, and then it's doubled then in the seconds and ultimately the firsts. And each time, you know, there's there's a there's development there, and the winds come in subtly, and you know this sort of slow but but really satisfying orchestration that really leads to this music becoming really beautiful. Where before it was just a real kind of you know it's not really a great melody, but it, yeah, it's, it's how dry. it's how he. It's how he develops something that otherwise, you know, and Bernstein talks about that as well. Oh, God. You know, yes. um, he talks about Beethoven's uh, seventh, you know, the the second movement, the da, mm-hmm. da, da, right. da, da, you know, and, and that, that being on it, on its face, extremely boring <laughs> and mm-hmm. not, and not really great, but you, you listen to this and then, you know, you give Beethoven, you know, he says, okay, okay, that's fine, but just, just give me one minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then a, a, a minute later, you're 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 transformed into this this world of absolute um, astonishment. And he does build cathedrals from really, really, yes. really small nuggets of average music. Um, and that's that's the power that that orchestrators have, right? Well, it's the power the orchestrators do, and also, I mean, it's also the power of the composer too. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a little bit of what I hear you saying is is really the. The, the process of, of developing of development yep. development and, yeah and we've talked about this before but i mean i you know as a compo- as a teacher of composition that to me that's that's the bedrock that's the absolute uh that's the the you know that's the juice of of composition of good writing i mean i've done you know two books on that where we'll talk about beethoven i mean there's i have an example of one of Beethoven's piano sonatas, you know, he has a, a 16th note ry- rhythm, about 70% of the movement has that, you know, it just, it's keeps repeating it. I mean, he changes it, he sequences it, you know, he puts it in different hands and he does different registers, he does different things, but um, it's relentless, you know, and, and when you listen to it, um, you're, you're, you're amazed. I mean, you get the idea. It's sort of like, um, you know, it's like an athlete working out, you know, see somebody up there, um, you know, shooting the baskets, you know, making points and you, you know, we, we admire their abilities and a lot of composition is that way. You know, it, it's sort of, um, showing off in a good way, uh, their genius. And so, uh, but, but orchestration is, is, is a, is a developing t- development technique as well. You know, it's, it's one of the main techniques you present a melody, you know, in the clarinet, and then you could present, you know, even in the same register, in the same, you know, without any change in a different instrument. 
And then that makes it something different. It, or right away, already you've developed it by orchestration. Yeah. Also, yeah. You're, you're thinking about, you know, kind of combinations of instruments and how you can take, you know, two different instruments and combine them together to create a, a, a new sound, you know, that you're, you're creating new textures and new timbres by, by combinations of instruments, right? That's right. Exactly right. I mean, and, and they, that's that art, you know, and, and what I tell, you know, my students is to keep a book, keep a book of, of what you hear. Like if you, you hear something on the radio or you hear the radio, who listens to radio, but if you, you know, if you hear something um, and you can't, and you, oh, it's clarinet and bassoon, or like, as you say, it's French horn and cello. And so you write that down. You know, and you say, oh, gosh, you know, French horn and cello around middle C uh, sounds, uh, you know, so um, mellow or sounds so whatever adjective you want to use to describe it for yourself. And th this is what um, I think a lot of great composers have done. Sometimes they haven't done it. Uh, the, the masters who knew so much about orchestral music uh, and they lived in it, uh, maybe they didn't. Keep a notebook, but a lot of I've, lots of them have kept notebooks. We know, you know, and so I think that, gosh, I tell people to, to, you know, it's like put it on your refrigerator. You know, here, here you like this thing, put it there because who the heck's going to remember? You don't remember, oh, you know, clarinet and and you know piccolo. I mean, you know, we, when it comes time to orchestrate, the big problem is is that when people are orchestrating their music, they're they don't do because they don't know the orchestra that well. They don't know the ranges. They don't really know them. And so the orchestrations tend to be bland. They're not courageous, like Bernstein talks about. They're not bold. They're not innovative. They're not exciting. They're not sexy. They're 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 safe. Very safe, people write. Uh, because they're they're yeah, they're scared. They're 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 insure, unsure. In, <laughs> combining insecure and unsure. They're insecure really about the range. They say to themselves, well, gosh, you know, can the clarinet play this solo? Well, it, I just don't know if it's going to sound, so I'm going to double it. So, you know, and, and that philosophy pervades a lot of what we hear, particularly in, in the people trying to get work. You know, I mean, get, building their their you know, careers up. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there's, there's just certain truths to be, to be known about the orchestra and things that are kind of well established now that, you know, the, the magic of the strings is in the cello and the viola, right? You know, the people tend to focus very heavily on, on violin one and violin two, and they kind of neglect the viola. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I, we were always told that, that the magic the the music that you love so much and the those kind of lush string passages the it the magic is in the viola it's the color instrument that's the one that, that brings the, the 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 majesty to to the strings you know and it's the one that that blends it all together and and really creates that sonority you know and mm -hmm. and, and this kind of truths that you know the piccolo is always going to be heard, right? These types of things that, right. that, you know, it doesn't matter what you have, doesn't matter how pianissimo you write it or where it's always going to be there. You know, and yeah. you, you have, you have to know these types of things. If you're going to, if you're going to 
use them and utilize them very specifically you know john just coming back to john because he he is the the apex i suppose um you know when he uses the piccolo it's very 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 specific and he knows exactly when it's going to be used and what it's going to be used for Mm -hmm. um you know but so people that are that are kind of listening to this podcast and and are are kind of thinking uh, it's something that i've that i've heard a lot about and it's something that i would think about maybe trying to to delve into a little bit um where would you kind of advise that they that they start off you know we, we always hear that the the best orchestrators are are Ravel and Stravinsky and would you would you kind of say that if you want to start thinking about orchestration that that's where you should look or you know what would your advice be to people that are just starting out um i well i don't thought you know Ravel and Stravinsky are two very very good ones you're absolutely right um i would I would say, obviously, get an orchestration book, you know, get a book of ranges. Um, and I would, I mean, that would, uh, I, mean, I guess everyone has that online, I guess. So even if you don't have a book. So um, I think you're, I, I think Ravel is uh, yeah, absolutely wonderful. You know, Stravinsky, um, you know, is great. Some of the older composers, you know, um, Rimsky-Korsakov, of course, you know, Berlioz, um, Prokofiev. You know, kind of got some modern sounds. Uh, Bartok uh, does some interesting things, but um, I, I think that um, almost any any score that you open up that you can get your hands on is going to help you. I, I tell people, man, you know, open up a orchestral score, and um, you know, that there's more information there than than me talking at you, you know, for an hour. So. Um, anywhere you can start, I think is, is very, very good. If you, if you, um, if you're, you're, if you don't have, you have no knowledge of it, if, if you're a beginner, uh, I, I probably wouldn't start with Ravel. I would probably start with Beethoven. Uh, you know, go to IMSLP, you know, where you can download free scores. Um, pick a, pick a, a, a symphony that, that, uh, that you might know, um, try to, to follow the score. I mean, I have, you know, the thing that I've done with, with my books is, you know, I do some annotations to, to give people ideas of what to listen to. I always tell them that you have to expect to listen. If you're not used to reading a score, it's very tricky. Scores are tricky. They're some of the most, uh, complex, you know, it's not complex, like you know, doing a math problem, but it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. So you've got to expect to um to listen to a score four or five times really like a movement of something that movement may not be that long maybe only seven minutes we're not talking hours of your life but don't don't be um surprised that you that you may do that you 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 know listen to it a few times follow it and then after a few listenings you'll you'll start to uh to not you won't get as lost as much right i mean that that's 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 really great that you brought up that you you kind of touch on these things in in your own books you know so let, I, I would like to talk about those um you know if 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 it's okay with you um because I, I've looked I've looked at some of your books and I've kind of I've gone through what you have on your website you know and we'll, we'll talk about that when when at the end when I'm uh, I'll ask you to kind of 
give out your details and where people can find more about your work. But um, okay. let, let's just talk about about your books. I'm, I'm looking here at, at some of your work that you've done, and you know, um, you have very, very, very specific writings. You know, you've got things that are like focus on the strings. So that's a, is that's an entire book that's dedicated to the string section. Am I, I right? do have one book. I do a book focus on the strings. That book um, was originally it's it's used for my class in the UCLA extension which is a uh, writing and scoring for strings so that yeah that book but of course it can be used um you know outside of the classroom but yeah that that book was was um it, i think it's very useful it 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 del it starts with um writing you know for one instrument it breaks down um a lot of writing for quartets um string orchestra uh how, you know how to um uh, concerto playing uh, but the big points are just, you know, what is good string writing? You know, what is what what is great string writing? And and those answers you can set up categories for for what makes something effective, you know. And then um, once you decide, let's say some, let's say a wide tessitura, let's just say that that you know might be a general consensus that if you use the whole range of the instrument, that's a good thing. You know, as opposed to just using an octave. So uh, so that becomes a category. So then you, you look through some string quartets and you see this, you know, or let's say sharing of material. You might also, you know, give that a, a, a point. Oh, that's probably a good writer. So um, I like to 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 show examples of these uh, explicit kind of um, traits or techniques. But I um, I have. Um, a lot of, you know, I, after my the first book that I did, which was, I, I did, I put way too much in it. I put 20 scores, you know, it's like a thousand pages. I just went hog wild. But those, all those scores are public domain scores. And then um, the next book I did, I got, I was told I couldn't do it, but it was not, it was, that was wrong. That was false news. And I got, I got the rights to reprint a whole bunch of um, 20th century music. What, 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 book, what book is this? That's called, that's volume two, 20 and 21st century music. That's got Britain, you know, who's not public domain. That's got some bar talk that wasn't. It's got some Stravinsky, Apollo, it's not public domain. It's got um, John Adams, Short Ride, Fast Machine. It's got Hina Stera. Uh, it's got Leonard Bernstein's um, Sweet from um, On the Waterfront and some Copeland, all of that stuff, I got the rights to reprint. And so I love that book. And then the, the third book, once again, I was told it was impossible uh, to use film excerpts. It was way too much money. And I believed it for many years until I finally decided to find out for myself. And I found out that it was not as difficult. And I got the rights, and that's the, the volume three. It's called Film Music, and that has uh, that has four John Williams um, cues in it. You know, complete actual cues. You know, from the stage, not suites, not adaptations. Um, and it's got scores by um, James Newton Howard and Elmer Bernstein and and uh, Goldsmith, a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah, that's. I think that's really. Uh, very helpful for folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely, I definitely would recommend that that people look into these to these books because I think that they are 
obviously when you're writing you're very much writing to your student audience so that's always at the forefront of your your mind i mean it's coming back to what we talked about at the very beginning in terms of how everything that you do is informed by everything else that you do in this sort of mm-hmm. network of of sort of thinking processes and stuff it's it's really it's a really interesting sort of um kind of combinations of workflows and i i really I'm really intrigued that that you're able to do it so effectively, and that that you've kind of turned each each avenue into a strength that informs each other strand of what you do. I really, I really think that that's. Oh, um, thank you. I think that's um, something that's really interesting. Well, you know, I've been very lucky because, um, you know, I went to you know I played bass, like I said, I played bass for many years, and I went back to get my master's and doctorate when I was fifty. I was an old guy, you know, and um, but it worked for me and, um, everything that I do, I try to, to, um, to pass on, I guess we're going to say, I mean, I did that education. I taught, then I, I was teaching theory for many years. Um, and that was great because it enabled me to, to start thinking a lot more about theory. And this last summer I, uh, I taught a 20th century class in Vietnam, uh, as it was. Yeah. And. So that was great because I got to I studied you know 20th century genres and styles, and learned uh, a whole bunch about music, you know Verez and Stockhausen, you know Carter, you know um, Schoenberg, Berg, you know all the the big guys. Anyways, all of that gave me a lot more information about that period. So I try to include everything. What I do in my stuff is. I'm a big believer of um, of having colors. You know, I have scores with colors. Everything is is straight. Um, Syn- to make it synesthetic. <laughs> synesthetic. Yeah, I guess so. You know, but um, I like to um, I like to make things practical, and I like to um, try to break things down. To me, um, really, I've always I. You know, so music is always, in, it's still, you know, intrigue is, is too light of a word. It's it's always, it's a mystery, really. I think I, it's, a lot of it we'll never, we really don't understand. But um, I think that um, there's enough craft that we can understand that I love, I love working it out and, and just um, sharing that information. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a balance to be struck upon, um you know advancing yourself and advancing music generally uh in terms of fortunate accidents you know so you you get these people that do things creatively but they 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 do it entirely by mistake Um, (laughs) and you know and, and and that's fine but there's also something to be said for people who um make advancements based on what's come before this idea of stand standing on the shoulders of giants you know it's like i i know exactly um, where I'm going to take this and, and how I'm going to push that boundary because I know where the boundary is, um, you know. So uh, there's there's definitely a, a creative balance to be struck, you know, in terms of um, how you develop your own voice uh, in relation to what's come before, but that's only if you know what's come before. <laughs> no, you're right. You're you're absolutely right. And I'm um, I'm a as you can tell, I'm a huge believer in education. And I think that um, you're never, you know, you're never too late to learn, obviously. But also that the the analogy I like to 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 talk about is, let's say you're, let's say a bass player, 
And let's say, you know, you have a problem rushing. And so you play with friends and they say, you know, gosh, you know, gosh, Norman, you, you know, you, you play pretty well, but you're really rushing. You know, uh, time isn't good. And you say, thank you. And then we don't do anything about it. Right? You just ignore it. Well, after a while, you're not going to play that much with people because you've got this 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 hole in in your uh, abilities. It's the same thing with composition. Uh, it's it's not necessarily an orchestration that someone is going to come up to you and say, you know, gosh, Connor, you know, you know, your your counterpoints stinks. But it's it's just most of us know in ourselves that there's things that we could do better. So it's that realization of sort of saying to oneself, you know, gosh. I, you know, my, you know, my composition, I'm, I'm really stuck on three chords. You know, I really don't know how to develop, you mm. know, my material. Modulation of things, you know. Yeah. You know, so if somebody says, okay, I'm going to study with someone, let's say for six months, you know, I'm going to read some books, I'm going to work on it. And then, you know, by God, you're going to get better. You know, you're going to get, you know, you're going to work for six months, you know, it's like, Going home and playing with the metronome for six months as the bass player. If you do that for six months, you're going to get your time better. So it's the same thing with with the study of composition orchestration. I like I you know, to me, as I say, I learned as a bass player, and we I had a practice and you had lessons. And but composition was never taught to me that way. Uh, even getting a doctorate, composition was a little bit more like, well, what did you do last week? Show me what you did. And we'd sit down and they'd make a suggestion or two. But uh, now maybe that's that's good for an advanced individual. But I really I find that um, I like to try to help people with com as composition, like to give them things to do, you know, work on, you know, write something, you know, using 12 tone rule, write something using a pentatonic scale, write something using just low brass and last you know give and because then you're 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 broadening your spectrum you're not just doing the same thing and it's like you're working on series of technical things and so i like to to try to think of learning composition and orchestration more as i did as an instrument than just you know show me what you did last week yeah i think it's super important too that that composers are in dialogue with players like, the, to, mm -hmm. like there's this kind of myth of of the the composer who isolates himself and or herself in in a room and then emerges, you know, six months to two two years later uh, with this this kind of opus that that has yeah, been you know formed, di dictated yeah. by 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 God or whatever, um, you know. But I, I something that that I've personally um, learnt loads from. Is um, you know if you take your music to to a player or you have it performed, and after the performance that you go back and you gather up the scores and you see mm -hmm. the annotations that the players have made and you see where they've kind of said, all right, he's written this, but everybody just just ignore that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and they're they're oh, they're great. slurring things differently, and they're 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 kind of changing the bowings because you've you've, you've got it wrong or. Um, you know, and that's that's uh, an absolute wonderful way of of, and it's basically the same as, as as looking at score. You know that you're you're looking at how that phrase was notated, and 
you know, and, and you're learning that way. So it's really, really important to, to be constantly in dialogue with players because they know their instrument better than anyone, I guess. Yes. That's a great, you know, that's a very good point. I mean, uh, I always tell the students, you know, take the, you know, after a reading session or a recording, you know, take the music just for the reason you're talking about. The other thing um, that I, I recommend to people, uh, I did, um, you know, when I was just kind of relearning or, re, you know, learning composition, we had a, like a composition group. We had a, like a composer's group. And it was, I don't know, let's say four people. And you can, anybody can do it. You get four people and uh, you, you, you say, you know, you, clarinet, right? You know, so you invite a clarinet player over to somebody's house or apartment, right? You know, you maybe, you know, you give the guy a hundred bucks, right? Everybody chips in 25 bucks. Give him 25 bucks, you know, you give him a couple of drinks or something like that. Or I mean, you don't have to get a party, but I mean, you, you invite somebody over and then you say, okay, give us a demo and then we're going to write. Everybody, half hour, we're going to write a piece right now. And the clarinet guy sits in the corner, you know, plays on his phone or whatever he wants to do. And you write a piece. And maybe you write a piece because one of the, the group plays, plays piano, let's say. So you that night, you're writing for clarinet and piano or clarinet and cello. And it's a great way to, to, to meet people. You know, it's a great way to uh, hear your ideas right away. It's a great way to learn to write fast. You can't sit there, you know, and spend, you know, uh, three weeks on a measure. You know, you got to write something, you know, a half hour. You know, so um, things like that. People can, I, I, I recommend people try to, I mean, what you're talking about is great. And of course, you know, if you're, if you, you can do it on your own. You know, if you're writing a piece, you know, I tell guys, you know, Call up a player in this town, call up a player in town, um, offer to buy him coffee. You know, not all the time. Every, people are busy. They may not really have the time, but you may find somebody, you know, especially if you, you know, if you offer them, you know, to something, you know, for their time, something reasonable. Um, you know, you get together with them and you you ask them some questions or really better. You meet them someplace and you have them play and you really write down what you're hearing. Yeah, I mean, developing developing relationships is is just always a necessity in any in any industry, but especially in our industry because you really want to um, avail of everyone's expertise, and that's why um, nobody is a one is a one kind of stop shop anymore. Everyone has got um, you know definitely a team of people. Like you know, you you said that Michael has definitely got somebody on his team that is an expert in, mm -hmm. in that particular job that they have been assigned to do, you know, and there might be, a, they might have abilities to cross over into different kind of, you know, oh, the mock-up guy sick today. So jump in and, and do that, you know, but I mean that, that, that building that network of friendships and, and relationships that, that you can bounce off and say, ah, oh, you know, just take a screenshot of this and, and send it over via Facebook. And, you know, is that okay? You know, is this playable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Absolutely fine. Totally, you know, idiomatic. Great. And, and you know, for sure. And you don't, you don't, you're not coming to the stage and someone's putting their hand up going, uh, you know, right. what, what's happening here? <laughs> you, know, you know what no. I mean? And that's super embarrassing and costs money and, and, you know, you're probably going to suffer for it in the long run. You know, you're right. I, I've done that. I, I certainly did that uh, when I first did some things with Michael where, I mean, I had some questions about percussion 
or or the horn. You know, I, I have the friends in the orchestra. I would I call them up, you know, and I asked them. I said, can and I've had people do that with me with bass, you know. So you're absolutely right. Um, this business is is um, you know it 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 runs on um, on kind of on friendship and it runs on who you know and it runs on people working together. Now that's sometimes a problem because some people don't work so well with others and they get kind of you know politically blah 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 blah. But um, most people you know, seem to work well with others. And, um, it, you know, music, that goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's like people who've never had the opportunity to, to work, to play with others. I mean, to me, music is so much a social uh, activity. I mean, I'm a pretty kind of a loner person in a lot of ways. I mean, I like my, I like my alone time, you know, in my life. And, you know, even though I have a family and blah, 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 some people are super social, but ma making music is a, um, a social activity. It's, 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 it's making music with people and you, you've got to, you've got to work together to play. You can't, you know, if you try to control the whole thing, you're got, you can't, you can't do it. I don't care what, if it's a jazz band or certainly if it's a section, you know, you, you cannot do it. You've got to work with others. You've got to learn to work with others. So you're, so you're absolutely right. Um, I think, I think I that's know. the, I think that's the main difference between film music and, and, uh, concert compos composition is that ultimately uh, from the get-go you're immediately collaborating in film music you know you're 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 from from day one you're you're mm -hmm. talking with the director and he's informing a lot of your decisions from from the from the film uh, whereas concert music you're you're kind of on your own for a while and then you take it to people when you have something worth worth mm -hmm. uh, given but I mean I'm really conscious of your time, so I'm not going to keep you any sure. longer. Is there anything else that you think is relevant that we haven't spoken about, or um, anything that you haven't that we haven't touched on that you might want to address? Um, I think we've done a pretty good job. I, I think that um, um, the the last thing I'll say, just kind of quickly, it, it, it's some we've covered a little bit of it, but I I'll, I like to encourage every writers to to um, uh, not just accept, but try to develop their um, own ethnic, not so much, ethnic isn't a good word, but their own background in musically. And uh, I tell this story about a student came by one time, he's Thai, he's Thai, Thai guy, and he played me a piece, you know, mock-up, right? John Williams-esque. It was fine. You know, it was, it was good. Then he played me this original piece that he'd written for woodwinds. And there was, you know, uh, a Japanese flute, you know, and a Chinese drum and things. And, and the piece just I, was so interesting. I said to him, I said, man, that's what you should be playing people, you know, right away, because it's unique. It's saying something people haven't heard. It's for real instruments. Uh, if I'm a director, now maybe I'm not going to write a. Maybe I have something I'm going to do in Asia, or, or I think to myself, well, gosh, this guy was so good. Maybe I can ask him to do something else that's, that's not tethered to that area. So um, I just uh, that would be, you know, because the podcast goes everywhere. I'm just telling people that that you know, for your melodic material and harmonic material, you know, try to utilize like me. I'm I grew up in America, right? You know, so I use. You know, jazz, I'm, a, you know, influence a little bit, 
you know, it, it's it's part of my background or rock and roll or something. And now that if that's part of your background, beautiful, that's good. It's just you can use the craft of a Williams or the craft of a Goldsmith or a Bernstein or a Herman, uh, but keep your own voice original in the sense of your melodic and your harmonic materials to interest you. Don't try to push it all to be the same. I mean, you're never, ever, ever going to be John Williams because you're not John Williams. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? So there's no point. There, there's, there's, there's aspirations to be as successful as John Williams or to be as respected as John Williams. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to be writing music that is a, like, I suppose it's the, the, the thing where um, I think it was Gershwin went to study with Ravel and right, you know, he, right. he said that the world doesn't need a second-rate Ravel, it needs a first-rate Gershwin. You know right, what I mean? And that, right. that, that's so important and that that, that, that that one sentence has been, you know, has been so influential in developing uh, people's voices and that's, that's what Chris really makes a big point in uh, mm. and, and a lot of people and, and your voice is always going to you know, be traced back to where you where you come from and where you started from, and um, you know, and having having that ability might get you a gig. You know, well, it really might. I mean, it's not even so much like sounding like John Williams or Jerry Goldsmith or Hans Zimmer. The, the music is international now, right? I mean, it you know, it, it, it thankfully you know, it's not all coming from you know a European classical tradition. You know, there are. Uh, guys doing stuff, women, you know, doing things um, that need to have, you know, uh, different kind of approaches to it, you know, different, you know, use of scales and different use of harmonies. Uh, and that that kind of thing will make your music stand out. You know, it's, it's, it's not the normal thing. So, um, you know, it's 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 a challenge. It's you know, it's a challenge, but it's a wonderful challenge. Right. Well, I mean, it was fantastic talking to you, and I really appreciate you taking the time. On is there any uh, where where can people find you online? Is there uh, do you have a Twitter handle or a website where people can go and and uh, check out your stuff? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have the a Twitter. I mean, I do, but it, it it's not really <laughs> too <laughs> useful. But right. yeah, my my website, which is um, you know www.musicnewapproach.com. It's one word: music new approach. Um, and there you'll find I have my books, I have uh, my um, some videos, I have I've done seminars that um, I have videotaped that are available for people to download to buy, and I have private lessons. I teach a lot of students uh, internationally via Skype, and I enjoy that very much, and um, I think people do too. So, yeah. Um, you they say musicnewapproach.com or just Norman Ludwin if you get lost. You'll you'll find it in one of those two places. Okay. Well, that's great, Norman. Thanks very much. I'll let you go now. Um, but thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank it. you for asking me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll do it again when the new book comes out. <laughs> we'll talk about that. All right. Thank you. For sure. Bye. Okay. Bye, Connie.